Have them go to Luke chapter 18. That's where we'll be today, this past week in the uh, Bible reading plan. Uh, I believe we, we were in chapter 16 through 20. Is that five? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, that's five. That's where we were. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in here and read it. I'm going to be reading Luke 18 verses 15 through 30. Says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is none who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pray one more time. Father, help open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Amen. Somebody told me last week, I don't know if it's true or not, not fact-checked this, but they told me that National Geographic has ranked Holmes County as the third best place in the United States to see the fall foliage and leaves. Has anybody else heard that? No? Okay. Holmes County, baby. <laughs> Our claim to fame. Um, but I, I love this time of year. Like, I, I love it. And I, I don't know if it's, I mean, I've always kind of loved fall, but I, I feel like I'm getting older. In fact, uh, last Sunday, um, I told Hannah, like, I was all jazzed up to do this. I, we, we got the golf cart. I was like, sweetie, let's just go drive around the lake and just look at leaves. And uh, I told her, I was like, we, so we jumped in the little golf cart and cruised around the lake. And we do that somewhat anyway uh, out there. But I just feel like I'm going to make a great old retired person um, just cruising around looking at leaves and if that was offensive to anybody who's retired I'm sorry I just now thought of that so I said that there's nothing wrong with it I love it I'm well on my way but but the leaves there's two different ways to kind of look at it there's as there's there's sometimes as you're driving around here you know with the rolling hills you see these big panoramas of you know like scenes and hills out in the distance somewhere and the different colors and they're all kind of mixed together and there's layers there's layers to it, but then you can also kind of zoom in on just like one tree, 
And like every fall, I kind of like, I'm like, I try to like pick my favorite tree. And there's one on 83 uh, south, just south of Millersburg before you get to Lake Buckhorn on the right. That's just like, man, it's been uh, just in kind of like full bloom for the last couple weeks. And so I always like driving past that one specific tree as well. Anyway, I say all that because Luke uh, especially, all the gospel writers do this, but Luke especially, um, he, he takes these different stories and he, he layers them in, not so much chronologically, although there is a general chronological order uh, to his gospel and kind of a flow to it, um, but Luke wrote this gospel. If you remember, he, he um, probably never met Jesus in person, but he wrote the gospel by interviewing eyewitnesses. And so Luke is a, is, was a doctor, he was a physician, um, and a very detailed researcher, and he went back and he interviewed eyewitnesses and people that encountered Jesus when he was alive here on this earth, and he got all these accounts, and he layers them in together to make a point. And, and today what I want to look at in this, in this passage here, there's a lot of this going on in the last several chapters, and especially in chapter 18, but I want to look specifically at these two stories that Luke kind of layers together. And I want to look at them kind of individually, but I also want to look at them uh, in contrast uh, to each other. And so there's just three things that, um, kind of depths of color that I want to look at in the passage here this morning. That is the contrast, the commandments, and then the kingdom. The contrast, the commandments, and the kingdom. And the first one is where we'll spend most of our time, but first of all, the contrast. The contrast here is between little children in verses 15 through 17, and this rich, young ruler. I think that, again, Luke puts these two stories back to back for a very specific purpose because they, they stand in stark contrast uh, to one another. And I just want to kind of go through and just kind of uh, compare them a little bit side by side for a little bit. Josh, if you can put this, um, this chart up on the screen. Uh, but the difference here between, between children and the rich, young ruler, first of all, the children, they can bring absolutely nothing to the table. They, they have no money. They have no resources. This rich young ruler would have had many resources, a lot of money that he could have brought. Um, the rich young ruler was probably very well-spoken. That's why he was a ruler uh, at such a young age. Uh, children, they can't speak at all. In fact, in verse 15, it says that they were bringing to him infants. Infants. They can't speak at all. The rich young ruler was well-educated. Children don't know a whole lot. They think they do sometimes, but they don't know a whole lot, especially little kids here like uh, Jesus uh, was receiving as they brought them to him. The rich young ruler had status. He had he was well known, uh, most likely in verse 18 when it calls him, uh, when it says that a ruler came to him, he was most likely a ruler of a synagogue. He was a local leader uh, in the local church is what we would kind of say today. Uh, children on the other hand, they have no status, especially even back in that day, um, even more so than now. Uh, they had no special status at all. And so that's why the disciples here are rebuking them as people are bringing them to Jesus. The rich young ru ruler was probably highly influential. Um, he probably had a lot of pull, had a lot of people in the know. You know, it's, uh, he knew people in, in high places. Um, children, not so much. They don't have a lot of influence. The rich young ruler is probably a natural leader, natural leadership ability. In fact, I'm convinced that uh, there's not a pastor in the United States that would probably not be thrilled to have the rich young ruler come and attend his church. 
I mean, this guy walks in the door and you're thinking, man, here is, here is somebody just bursting with potential. Really hope he, he joins up, takes the next partnership class. Um, but children, no leadership ability. No leadership ability at all. And again, what Luke is doing here, he's, he's setting them over and against each other, and, and we're gonna look more at this after a bit, but Jesus says that to such as these, these children, even though they bring nothing to the table, um, to such belongs the kingdom of God. They are absolutely helpless. As I was reading this this past week, the thing that came to mind was at the end of the service last week, standing out there by the back doors, Aaron and Christina walked out uh, with their new little newborn baby, uh, Jada. And Jada is, I don't know, like two weeks old, three weeks old, something like that. And, I, and you always forget, you know, when you f- see the newborns, just how tiny they are. They're so little. They're so little. It's one of the things I love about Mercy Hill right now. We got a lot of babies and we got a lot of baby bellies going on. But there she was, you know, all bundled up and just so tiny. And, and, and that's who they were bringing to Jesus here. And he says, it's, it's ones like these that the kingdom belongs to. I mean, she could do absolutely nothing on her own. Her entire, Jada's entire little world is Aaron and Christina. That is, apart from them, she can do absolutely nothing. It wouldn't matter, you could take, you could take the bottle, or you could, you know, and, and you could set it right by her, and you could even lay it by my, she still couldn't do anything. She needed a diaper, you could lay the diaper right there beside her, it wouldn't matter. She's completely helpless to care for herself. And Jesus says, this is, this is who I need in the, in the kingdom. This is who the kingdom is for. It's for those who cannot help themselves. Folks, God helps, them who, God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. Do you know that? It's not in the Bible. You might have thought that was a proverb. It's not a proverb. It's not. Completely, completely helpless. Um, and again here, Luke wants us to to see here as he's going to continue on that uh, this is what we must become and this is the obstacle really to our salvation. It's not that we need to gain something else but it's that we need to be stripped down. We need to have a miracle occur in our hearts where we're willing to become like this um, and trust God alone for our salvation. Secondly, not just the contrast, but I just want you to observe here just the commandments. And this is down in the story of the rich young ruler, mainly in verse 20. But again, verse 18, this ruler comes up. And again, uh, Luke here says that he's a ruler. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the story. They all say that he's rich. And Matthew includes the detail that he's young. Therefore, you get it's the story of the rich young ruler. And Mark even adds the detail that he comes up to Jesus. I just want you to think about this. Because I think this guy was, on the surface, he was a lot more sincere than we give him credit for. Like, I used to read this story about the rich young ruler and just think that he was some sort of really cocky, spoiled jerk. But I don't, I don't think that's it. I mean, he comes running up to Jesus, Mark says, and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and in front of other people looking on. He says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? I mean, what an incredible question. Right? 
mean, we're just like, man, we're, 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 we're waiting for this guy. Again, there's, there's not a pastor who wouldn't, wouldn't love for this guy to, to come to his church. He's rich, he's affluent, he's a good natural leader, has a lot of resources, and he's concerned about his eternity, about eternal life. Verse 19, and, and Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And here Jesus is, he, he's going to work, doing what he does. Getting right to the heart of our issue. He always does this. He's a master at it. He still does it today through his spirit and through his word in our lives. And he says here, you know, no one is good except God alone. That this good teacher wanted to, or this young ruler wanted to know what he needed to do to be saved. But right away, Jesus is setting this up, saying, well, nobody's, nobody's good except God alone. Verse 20, and then Jesus says this, and, and again, I, I believe it's either Matthew or Mark, in between verses 19 and 20, it's not recorded here in Luke, but when Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Uh, one of the other gospel writers adds the detail that the rich young ruler responds with the question, well, wh wh which ones? Which commandments? What do I need to do? And so Jesus responds to him, and he says, you know the commandments, and he says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And here's what I want you to notice about, about the commandments. Is that, in fact, Josh, do we have the, the uh, list of the Ten Commandments? Can you put that up there? Here, here's the Ten Commandments. I know you all have them memorized, but just in case you don't. Um, but you'll notice here that the Ten Commandments are generally kind of broken up into two halves. The, the first part, the first four, are more vertical. They're Godward, okay? And then kind of the last half, uh, five through ten, are more horizontal or outward, okay? So here's the question. When Jesus begins to list these commandments to the rich young ruler, where does he jump into the list at? The first half or the second half? Which one? This is the crowd participation portion of this. The second half. Yeah, he jumps into the second half. And what's interesting about this is um, I think what he's doing here is absolutely brilliant and it's convicting and it is very, 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 very true to life. Is that he jumps into these commandments on the horizontal level and the rich young ruler's response, verse 21, is, all these I have kept from my youth. And so he's thinking, man, maybe I, I've, I've got eternal life. I'm, I'm good. He now, I think he's completely deceived here because I don't think there is anybody who's kept those, even those horizontal commandments at all. But the point being is that what Jesus does is he, he completely just leaves the Godward part out of it. And initially, the initial response of the rich young ruler is, he seems to actually be okay with this. He's like, I've, I've kept these. Yes. Even though there is nothing else I have to do. I've kept these commandments. And what's crazy about it is, is this rich young ruler who, again, was most likely probably a ruler of a local synagogue, he has created a religion to put it into modern day language, he is living, he, he has created a Christianity that God is not in at all. 
Guys, it's possible to live a cultural Christianity and Christ has nothing to do with it. Christ is not even in the picture. And especially when you grow up in church, I am for bringing your kids up in church, okay? I'm for that, hear me. Bring a child up in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It's true, teach him the word. We're commanded to do that as parents. But especially for those of us that were church kids and that have church kids, and we're bringing them up in this, it's possible to just teach them a bunch of stuff apart from actually a sincere relationship with Christ. And I don't want any of us to have a Christianity or a religion that doesn't even have God as a part of it. Yet we do this all the time. What was really interesting about those Ten Commandments as I was, as I was studying those this past week, Josh, I don't know if you can just put that list back up there again. But again, looking at Adam in kind of two halves, the first half and the second half, the vertical part and the horizontal part, is that it's interesting that um, the fourth one, you remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is this one right here kind of serves as like a link between the two. And so, again, the, the first three, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not have any idols, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, by the way, just a little side note, number three, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That doesn't just mean not using the Lord's name as a curse word. Don't do that. That's, that it includes that, but it's more than that. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain means that if you're constantly saying, well, the Lord told me, to, to, told me this, the Lord told me to do that, and the Lord told me to, to tell you this, but he didn't really tell you that, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. And that's, again, that's just kind of a little bit of, a, of an aside, but that happens a lot in Christianity. So don't, don't do that. Um, but then, again, this, this fourth one, um, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I just kind of, just want to point this out as I was studying this past week, it just kind of jumped out to me that it kind of serves as this connecting point between the vertical and the horizontal. And I just want to piggyback on something that I ended with last week. You might not remember this, but last week, one of the last questions that I asked you as I was kind of finishing up the teaching time of our worship service was I asked you whether or not you are uncomfortable being totally alone with God. Or whether the idea of just simply being alone with God makes you a little bit squeamish or uncomfortable. And the whole idea of the Sabbath here, I believe that in the New Testament, again, we, ever since the Lord resurrected um, on the third day, uh, the Sabbath day was always Saturday, but he resurrected on Sunday, and so Christians throughout history have always celebrated uh, um, that day on, on Sundays now. But in the New Testament, I don't think it's so much primarily about just a specific day of the week. But I do think it, it is about having a time regularly in your rhythm of life, including maybe one day a week, where you're just with God. You're just with him. And I say this because I think, again, the Bible is very practical and helpful in this regard, is that if we find ourselves with any similarities between uh, us and the rich young ruler here where he's created this Christianity or this religion that's apart from God or God's not a part of it. One of the things that you need to do, and again, I just want to press this home even though I mentioned it last week, you guys, you just, you need to spend time with him. 
And I just want to stop, I just want to put my thumb on this in your heart for a second. Because it's so, so, so possible to just do all the things that Christians do and not get alone with him. And I want to tell you something, that he is the only one that in the end knows exactly what's going on in your heart. Just like Jesus here, Jesus is God in the flesh. And he cuts right to the heart of this man's idolatry. He takes him right within just a couple sentences. He goes right to the issue that's keeping him from following him. If you will just get alone with God, if you find yourself confused this morning about what God's doing in your life, okay? You ever been there? This happens a lot. This happens to me. I've seen this in my life over and over again. And I talk to Christians all the time. Immediately, and sometimes just like, I don't know, I don't know what God's doing. Here's what he's doing, at least part of what he's doing, I guarantee it. Whatever he's doing in your life, whether through circumstances or difficulty or trial or tribulation, whatever he in his he and his sovereignty has brought into your life, here's what he's going after. He's trying to form you into the image of Christ, and he is going after the exact point of your idolatry. He's putting his finger on the exact place in your heart and in your life where you trust in other things, whether it be your performance or uh, the, wealth, the wealth that you've accumulated or, or, or your status or uh, your leadership ability uh, or your influence or whatever it might be. He wants us to be like children. And one of the, what's scary is, is that we all find ourselves there at times, and the only place that we can have that revealed, though, is by taking a Sabbath, by spending some time with him, and allowing him to connect the vertical part of our life with the horizontal part. Does that make sense? A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one, and no one would know the difference. I hope that's not true of us. I like to think that it wouldn't be, but it's worth asking the question, amen? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Get alone with God, folks. Get alone with him. And so, again here, Jesus focuses on the second half of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And this guy seems to be all right with not having the God word part. But then Jesus responds, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, <coughs> okay. And I love that Mark inserts the detail that when this guy responds, all these I've kept from my youth, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus isn't trying to be a meanie here. <laughs> he looks at him and in love, he says, okay. Well, one thing one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now this is difficult. He's got a lot to give up, but what he gains is of infinite value. And what he's offered here would make whatever he has to give up pale in comparison and become as nothing. But verse 23, when he heard these things, <coughs> he became very sad, for he was 
extremely rich. Jesus, in love, goes after the point of idolatry in his heart in order to get him to become like a child so that he can enter the kingdom. But he can't do it. Just can't do it. And he goes away sad. And this is where now, thirdly, I just want to point your attention to this idea of the kingdom. I've mentioned before, again, the contrast, the commandments, but now the kingdom. It appears five times in this passage, verse 16, 17, 24, 25, and also in 29. Verse 16, let, not, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. Verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 29, truly I tell you there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more. It's all about the kingdom. You know, this past week uh, I caught a little bit of the um, confirmation hearing for, is it Amy Coney Barrett, the new Supreme, yes, did anybody see this? Yeah. And I was just, again, I was thinking about this passage and, and I just thought, man, how different is the kingdom of the United States than the kingdom that Jesus describes here? And they're just grilling this woman, you know, eh, well, whatever, okay, you got to do that, it's fine. Make sure she's legit. Well, why do you do all that? They do all that because they want to make sure that she's the person that can bring the right resources into this kingdom because this is how our kingdom runs. Our kingdom, if you want to be a part of any sort of kingdom of this world, okay, and not just geopolitical kingdoms, but just kingdoms as, as affluent, powerful, influential people of the world kingdom. It's all about what you can bring to the table. But again, Jesus says, this isn't how the kingdom of God is. What he says is, is and again, I just want to, I've touched on this already, but just what this says about the nature of his kingdom is what he's saying in this passage is that a child, one who can bring absolutely nothing, is perfectly fitted, perfectly fitted to be a citizen of the kingdom. Is that not incredible? Here's, here's at least one implication. There's many. But here's one. Folks, the kingdom of God does not run on our resources, right? Because if it did, then it, then it would be all about, well, what can you bring? What do you add? What do you have to offer? What do you bring to the table? That's not what he does. In fact, here's a man who has a whole lot that he can bring to the table. In fact, I think the disciples probably got, or the 12, they, they, they probably got a little sick to their stomach at this point. Because they're thinking, Jesus, let's bring this guy in. He can fund the ministry, you know. The whole loaves and fishes thing, I mean, that was cool, but listen, we could just go buy it. Paying taxes, Peter's thinking, I don't have to go fish and pull a coin out of the mouth of the fish. I can just, this guy will cover it. He's a, he'll be a monthly donor. 
Our ministry platform will just go up and to the right. And Jesus says, that's not the way I roll. <laughs> it's not how my kingdom works. Is that the kingdom of God does not run on our resources. Mercy Hill Church, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I want us to really hear this. Because I do not want to spend my life um, playing church and thinking it's all about our resources and what we can bring to the table. If we want to see God do what only he can do, display his power and see salvation and see him change lives and have an impact in the culture, then we need to learn to live in the power of the kingdom. And that means that we need to stop thinking about what it is that we can bring to the table and hear this word this morning and understand that there's nothing we can bring. Nothing at all. And the problem isn't that we don't have enough to bring and that's why we don't see him move more. The problem is that we trust so much in our stuff or in our ability or whatever it is that we think that we bring that it keeps us from becoming like little children and receiving the blessing that he has for us. The kingdom does not run on our resources. Secondly, another implication is that, you know, the, the king is not frustrated by your lack. Isn't that awesome? How many of you ever feel like you just don't have a whole lot to offer? Anybody? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. It's not what he's looking for. Jesus is not frustrated by what you don't have or what you can't bring or what you don't know. He just wants us to trust him. This has a lot to do with the way that we live in this world as disciples. You know, over the last several weeks as we've been going through Luke, I've just been talking a lot about discipleship. So guys, every single day when you wake up, the question is not what will you do for God, but the question is will you trust him to do things through you that you cannot do for yourself? You may think that you can just wake up and just, you know, kind of do your devotions. That, that, that would be similar to little Jada. In fact, I see, is that Aaron? Yep, there. Sorry, the lights blind me sometimes. I see you guys not. But Aaron's got little Jada in his arms right now. I'd be like little Jada somehow waking up and thinking, I'll feed myself this morning, guys. You know, that's how her voice would sound. Um, no. It's foolishness. But the other thing is she'd never think that. Because babies know. See, it's not just that babies and children, it's not just that they're dependent, okay? Because here's the thing, we're all dependent. The thing about kids is they're, they're unashamed about it. They embrace dependence. They embrace having nothing. See, right now, you, you might think that you're secure uh, financially or socially or otherwise or whatever it might be. But the Bible says very clearly in the book of Colossians that Jesus, he upholds all things by his powerful word. <coughs> Whether it's your, your life or your health, or whatever it is, he upholds everything by his powerful word. And children understand this and they, they embrace it. They embrace being dependent. Um, my boys don't, when we bring groceries home, they don't write me IOUs for what they eat of our food. And they don't, when we buy them clothes, they're like, oh, Dad, I, I owe you. I'll pay, I'll pay back. No, 
they know that that's the deal. That's the shtick. That's how, that's how, they, that's how they live. They live on what their parents can provide. Um, and that's how God wants us to live. Also here, another implication of this is in order for you to enter the kingdom, and this is very specific, but I want to get to the point and not say a bunch of other stuff around it and not get to this. It'd be wrong. But in order for you to enter the kingdom, the king needs to do a miracle in your heart where you come to the place where you understand you cannot and you should not trust in yourself and what you can bring. But he has to do a miracle in your heart and cause you to trust him, to cause you to become like a little child. Let me show you where I'm getting this from. Verse 23, he goes away sad because he was extremely rich. Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now he's stalking in hyperbolic language here. Verse 26, the disciples respond, well, who, who then can be saved? I mean, Jesus, this was a, this was a natural-born leader, affluent, knew uh, the Old Testament law, was a ruler of a synagogue. They say, who, who then can be saved? I mean, if this guy can't be saved, then who can be saved? Verse 27. And again, notice here, the answer to their question, who then can be saved? Verse 27, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I've said this before, but I am totally convinced that the reason more and more of us are not more amazed by our salvation is that we think that we had a lot more to do with it than what we did. We think that it was just a mental ascent decision that we made at one point in time. Absolutely, you made a decision. If you're a believer in Jesus, you, you, in, on some level, you made a decision to follow him. But notice what he says here. That salvation, who then can be saved? It's impossible with man. It's only possible with God. And maybe that makes you go, good. That's the point. Salvation, eternal life, entering into the heart of a sinful human being is the greatest miracle that ever happens. And it's something God does. And yes, we must respond. Yes, we must repent. But with man and man alone, it's impossible. It's only possible with God. Worship team, you can come up and we'll close. Guys, I want us to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. Again, just to summarize, I would argue that in order to do that, then we need to become like little children. 
And that doesn't mean being simplistic or ignorant, but it does mean being simple. Simple meaning there's just one thing. Just one thing. Is that what you need? And that is Jesus. You need the king. If you're going to enter the kingdom, you need the king. I need the king. We need. We need the king this morning. So just a couple questions as we close. Number one, I just want to ask you this morning, whether you're a believer or not, like in this season of your life, do you find yourself being resistant to being dependent? Because here's the thing, like, can we just be honest? None of us really likes this in our natural selves. We don't like being dependent. We don't like only being able to survive by, by somebody taking us in their arms and putting the bottle to our lips and doing it for us. And if you don't want to live in the kingdom of God, if you just want to live in the kingdom of this world, then that's okay. You can trust in your resources. You can trust in your own abilities. But if we want to live in the kingdom, we've got to give up all that. And if you find yourself being resistant to being dependent in this season of your life, I would just encourage you this morning to, um, to just ask, just to tell God that. <laughs> Confess that. This is, again, all of the Christian life, it's repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Tell him that you want to be dependent again, and don't be scared. Don't be scared. Um, it can be a scary thing to be dependent. But our fathers never failed us, amen? Never. Doesn't fail. And again, in this guy's life, this, this passage says a lot about money, but guys, it's, it's not just about money. It's just about this guy's specific idol. And my second question to you is this morning as we close is, what, like if Jesus was speaking to you, if Jesus was here and you would run up to him and fall on your knees and say, what must I do to be saved? What would Jesus go after in your life? What's the idol that he would go after in your life? Maybe it is money. Maybe it is resources. Maybe it is financial security. But is it a relationship? Is it status? Is it position? Is it your reputation? Is it what people think about you? What's the heart of your idolatry? That is right now we sit under the authority of the word of God and I'm trusting the work of the Holy Spirit. Like right now, what is he convicting you of? What's the thing that he's putting his thumb on in your heart? That's the question. And then lastly, for those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just want to ask you, are you amazed at your salvation this morning? Are you amazed at your salvation? Because if you're truly saved, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, I want to tell you something. God did that. God did that. That was a miracle. And if you've, if you've lost the wonder of that, if you've lost, if you've, you've thought that maybe it was because of you, ultimately, you need to become like a child again. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that as we just sit here for just a second in your presence and um, get ready to sing, 
I just pray that your Holy Spirit would, would do the work right now in the hearts of each individual, myself included. That you would do what I, what I asked you for at the beginning of this message, Lord, just to cut away. Cut away those things that, uh, that are keeping us from being like a child. We thank you for being good to us. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we, we want your kingdom. We want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me.